and welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 205th episode, our guest is me. My first solo episode of the podcast was episode 41. The second was episode 62. The third was episode 84. The fourth was episode 117. The fifth was episode 131. The sixth was episode 135. The seventh was episode 182. The eighth was episode 189. The ninth was episode 194. And the tenth was episode 200. And on episode 100, I was joined by my wife and regular guest, Ash Burgess, who interviewed me. I am a 17-time award-winning journalist whose work has appeared in print, radio, online, and television. I am currently editor of the Wabash Plain Dealer. Most recently, I was news editor of Nouveau, managing editor of the Indiana Lawyer, and city editor, opinion page editor, and editorial board member of the Kokomo Tribune. I was also a reporter at WFHB, The Times Mail, The Reporter Times, Ukiah Daily Journal, and Ukiah Valley Television. Oh yeah, and I'm also the proprietor of the podcast, The Rob Burgess Show. And now on to the show. Alright, hello, hello. It is Rob Burgess, solo. Uh, I know I don't do these very often, I try to keep these to a minimum. Uh, I don't like to just be by myself, I usually try to bring you a guest that I can speak with and, and not just hear from me. However, there are times that I do feel uh, a certain urge to get my thoughts out there while they're, fr- while they're fresh. The last time I did this uh, was, well, it was almost a year ago today. Uh, it was just after uh, Joe Biden had been declared the winner of the presidency. Um, I think it was a couple days after today, if I'm not mistaken. Although today is November 3rd, 2021, and exactly a year ago, November 3rd, 2020, was Election Day 2020. So it is appropriate uh, to do one of these. I also did one of these during the impeachment trial. But again, I do try to save these for uh, when I've got a lot on my mind. I need to get out there, and and today feels like a, uh, a pretty big, momentous day, and there's a lot going on, so... Anyway, if you've been following along, there was some elections yesterday. Today's Wednesday, Tuesday was yesterday. There was a lot of elections across the country, some state, some municipal. Fairly or not, a lot of people kind of looked to these uh, elections to be kind of a bellwether for how the Democrats were doing, how the Republicans were doing. It's been the first kind of big electoral test uh, since the last election, so a lot of people are kind of using this as a uh, test case to uh, see how to proceed. Now, I can't speak to a lot of these races, and I'm not going to, so there's a lot of municipal races. I know there was mayoral races in places like Boston and uh, New York City and other places, and I I honestly haven't been following those, so I I am not going to speak to those. Uh, There was also a governor's race in New Jersey that at this hour, this just afternoon on Wednesday, uh, looks to be too close to call, so... I haven't been following that race either, so I'm just going to leave those to the side. You, I'm sure, can find people who are more knowledgeable about those. However, I do want to talk about the Virginia governor's race. And with the caveat here that I am not in Virginia, I'm in Indiana, as many of my listeners will know. I'm kind of an outsider to that state's politics. I have been watching it pretty closely this year because, like I said, a lot of people have been highlighting Virginia, uh, especially as kind of a test case for how to move forward in the next few years here. We have a governor, Democrat, Terry McAuliffe. I've been aware of Terry McAuliffe for a long time. I know that he's been deeply involved in the 
uh, kind of leadership of the Democratic Party. He's he's very much an institutionalist of a Democrat's side. Um, he's definitely uh, close with the Clintons. Uh, so about as establishment Democrat as you can get. To my eye, from where I'm sitting, uh, he doesn't look like a very strong candidate, not very inspiring, I guess you could say. It doesn't mean I, I wish him ill by any means. I just I didn't see what people were supposed to get excited about uh, voting for him, I guess. I don't know. I, again, I'm not in Virginia. Maybe there's some animating thing about him. I don't know. He faced a Republican, Glenn Youngkin. This is a really interesting case, and it's it's frightening for a lot of reasons. And Glenn Youngkin is somebody that, from the business world, much like Donald Trump, uh, he definitely swims in the same water uh, politically, ideologically. He has definitely ramped up the culture war uh, ideas and the white grievance politics and all the rest. Now, he's been doing an interesting dance with Donald Trump himself in that he doesn't seem to explicitly want Donald Trump to endorse campaign, be present in his campaign. However, he wants all the coalition that Trump built to propel him to victory. All right, so those are the kind of two sides we had going into this. I didn't feel, like I said, great about Democrats' chances going into this. However, I I was kind of, I was interested to see if they could muster the Republicans I'm talking about, the, the Trump base to going forward. Because as I've said many times on this very podcast, my worry is not Trump specifically. Trump is a very, uh, how do we say, idiosyncratic case. He announces his crimes very openly. He um, is a disgusting person. Uh, He puts a lot of people off with his demeanor. That is what some people apparently like about him, too. But I do think that that was enough during the last election in 2020. Enough of those people were able to be put off uh, to allow Joe Biden to take the presidency and the Democrats to sort of take Congress. More on that later. I am scared about the next Trump. The next Trump is not going to announce their crimes all the time into a microphone. The next Trump is not going to be a vulgarian necessarily. It's going to be the shiny, happy version, the uh, squeaky clean fascism, if you will. That's what I'm worried about. And to my eye, again, not in Virginia, but I have studied this race kind of closely. Glenn Youngkin seems to be in that mold. Okay, so that brings us to last night. All right, so Tuesday, we have elections. Things aren't looking super great, and they weren't great. And Glenn, Glenn Youngkin is the governor-elect of Virginia now. I am, I am very concerned about what this means going forward. Maybe I'm placing too much emphasis on this, but I don't think I am. Here's why. All right. As I said, Glenn Youngkin didn't explicitly want Trump. He wanted the Trumpism without Trump. He seems to have done that. And whether or not that's going to be true for the rest of the country, and whether or not this is a bellwether for upcoming elections, Republicans are going to think it is. And they think they have the recipe, right or not. I don't know if they do. I don't know if this was an idiosyncratic case just in Virginia. But I do think that this victory 
in Virginia for them means that they think they've got the recipe. They think they know what to do. And they and what the, what that means is you are going to hear the words critical race theory constantly for the, at least the next couple years. Which is so depressing because they can't even define what critical race theory is. There's been so many interviews with your average Republican voter where they're like, my main concern is critical race theory. And then the inevitable follow-up is, what is critical race theory? They don't know. In fact, I think the Republicans are fine with the fact that they don't know. The fact that it's a vacuum that they can fill with whatever they want to, it's just a big fear bag where they can put all the big fears about, you name it, then, then that's, that's the game. They can't define it. Good. They don't want to define it. They want to use that to propel them to victory. All right. After George Floyd was killed, there was something of a racial reckoning in this country. And that modicum of progress, which I don't really know how that materialized into any actual gains, but people at least started talking about things like white privilege, things like institutional racism, these things that have been so blaringly obvious to minorities in this country for so long had been made plain to a larger white audience. And there is a, bla- there is a backlash against that realization, a big backlash, and that is what they're running on. And apparently, and I said this back when the last election happened, even though Joe Biden won, even though the Democrats sort of took control of Congress, it worried me greatly that more people voted for Trump than, than in 2016. It was not less. It was more a greater number. So people are animated by this idea on the right. And they don't necessarily need Trump anymore. Now, the only hope for 2024 going in, into the presidential, I'm skipping forward a lot, but is that Trump will be him personally unable to extricate himself from the spotlight. At this point, he's the presumptive 2024 Republican nominee until I hear otherwise. That's just what I'm assuming. And I think everyone should assume that until we hear otherwise. And he's going to play that to the hilt if for fundraising, if for no other reason. And just the fact that he can't let go of the spotlight. So I think the Republican Party is going to do a Glenn Youngkin on every level going forward. They're going to use this big, scary, ill-defined idea, intentionally ill-defined idea of critical race theory and grievance over, uh, you know, white people losing power and you name it, vaccine mandates, anything where the majority is made to feel like an embattled minority. They're going to play that to the hilt. And I am pre-exhausted for that fight because... Look, I can go out and find some experts, and I will. I'm going to fight this fight. I'm going to try to do what I can as far as, like, defining the terms that we're talking about. I would love to interview an actual expert on critical race theory to break down exactly what that is. And I would, I, you may look for a future episode where I do that. However, I do think that they are going to use this idea 
to propel themselves to some sort of electoral victory, if not in 2022, then in 2024. And I think they've, they think they've found the formula. Now, again, I don't know if they have found the formula. I don't know if Virginia was a specific case. You know, uh, Phil Murphy may still win in New Jersey. I, that Again, that's too close to call. Maybe this is a one-off thing and, and people shouldn't uh, read too much into this. But yikes, the next couple of years are really going to be a depressing exercise in politics. So that's that's my take on the Virginia thing as far as the Republican side. The Democrats, oh boy. I don't want to pick on Terry McAuliffe too much. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't live in Virginia. Maybe he's done some good things. He does not seem like an exciting candidate to me. He seems like a milquetoast, middle-of-the-road, totally bland politician that's a lot of hot air and not a lot of action. I don't know if that's true. That's what he seems like to me. I had the same concerns with Joe Biden as a candidate way back in the primaries. You can go back and listen to the episodes we did uh, during the primaries uh, for more on that. He wasn't really even in my top five, okay? He's... He was acceptable enough. I mean, it was either him or Trump, and what are you going to choose? But he is a very uninspiring politician and candidate. He does not make me rise to my feet. He's not electrifying in any way. And I kind of feel like Terry McAuliffe was kind of in that same mode, which leads us to the National Democrats and the Congressional Democrats and the giant mess that they're in in Congress. Um, I can't help but think that the stymied bills that are getting caught up in the Senate and the pairing back and the cuts that are being made to their agenda, that has to hurt. Okay, and I'm going to take this all the way back to something I said in a previous podcast, and I think I think this was in the one I did in January where I talked about this, but... You know, the Democrats promised $2,000 checks, and then they approved 1400 And then they said it was because of the 600 that they'd received before, plus the 1400 That's where the trouble started for me, okay? Over-promising and under-delivering. That has been the mantra of the Democrats this last year on the national scale. We've heard about all these great things they were going to do, and, oh, nope, can't have that. Can't have dental care for old people. Can't have paid family leave. We can't have this and that. Well, don't promise that you can and then take it away. And look, I understand the the math, okay? I understand that Joe Manchin and Kirsten, Kirsten Cinema are standing in the way and that they have a 50-50 and any ties are broken by VP Harris. I get that. But that wasn't a mystery before they started promising all these things. So what's the deal? Find out what the bottom line is before you promise stuff. Find out what Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema will accept. What's it going to take for them to accept more? Okay? If they're holding things up, that means that they have some conditions. So maybe find out what those are before you go out and promise things. And look, they're the problem. I think people should be criticizing them as much as they do. I don't know what they're after. I mean, I can guess, but I I can't get inside their heads. But figure it out. 
you know, get them in a room and either, you know, use carrots or sticks or whatever you got to do, or at least read out what they want before you roll this stuff out. Because now it seems like we're getting less than what we promised. And this, you know, these bills are huge. These are huge investments still, even, even the pared back version. But you promise more and now you're doing less. And you're saying, oh, it's because of these two. What can you do? Well, okay. Find out what their concerns are before you tell us all about it. Don't negotiate in public about it. Don't squabble between yourselves and go back and forth. Find out what Joe, Joe Manchin and Gerson Sinema's bottom lines are. And look, I can, like I said, I can guess what their motivations are. You know, Joe Manchin's already a multimillionaire, but. I'm assuming that, you know, there's some campaign contributions or some dark money running through this. Uh, you know, you got to follow the money on the campaign contributions for him and cinema to figure that out. But okay. Well, that means they have a price then what's their price, meet their price, exceed their price. I, at this point it's worth it, right? Do they want something specific for their States? Well, earmark it up. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Personally, maybe they got rid of that. Promise them something. I don't know. Use a carrot or a stick. Knock some heads together. And this was, you know, this is the thing. When people are making the case for Joe Biden as president, um, this was supposed to be his superpower, right? He's a creature of the Senate. We're supposed to think of LBJ. Okay, you remember that famous picture of LBJ with his arms crossed staring down that one senator. I don't remember exactly who it was, but there's a famous picture of that. Where's that? I don't see that happening. I need to see that kind of leadership from Joe Biden if that's his selling point, is that he's able to work with people and get them to do big compromises, because uh, I don't see that. I see things getting pared back. And I see a lot of the attention shifted away from the White House towards these two senators where, you know, it's like the famous, you know, Harry Truman quote, the buck stops here. Well, if it's not working and it's your agenda, whose fault is that? You got to get out in front of it. So again, I realize that the margins are razor thin and I understand that, you know, they can't afford to, you know, lose many votes in the House either. And there's progressives pulling from this side and senators pulling from this side. But my goodness gracious, the, the Democrats, look at what the Republicans do. Okay, we're talking about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema only because the 50 Republicans are moving in lockstep. Nowhere, no space between them, right? Where's that? Where's that kind of discipline? I think the reason some people become Republicans is because they like that feeling of winning. I just have never seen a party snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like Democrats in this way. And I can't help but think it's because there's no party discipline. There's no, you know, marching orders. And maybe that's a good thing, you know, ideologically. And maybe that's why they're Democrats and not Republicans. But... Man, look at the look at the wins. If look, if Republicans were in the same situation where they only had like three vote three votes to spare in the House and no votes to spare in the Senate, something tells me they could get it done. All right, something tells me that they could win somebody over with a carrot or a stick or something. 
And I just don't see that kind of discipline or fire or organization from the from the Democrats. And this is an emergency, okay? We haven't even been able to we haven't even gotten to voting rights yet. We haven't even been able to like restore the Voting Rights Act. We haven't been able to do that. That you had to do that before anything else. I just don't see the the fire, and I don't see the the urgency. Let's say Joe Biden was elected because people were absolutely sick of the antics of Donald Trump. But that's the point, right? Republicans get out of power because people get sick of them overstepping. People get Democrats out of power because they're sick of them underperforming. They don't use the power they have when they have it. All right? Republicans play that to the hilt. Okay? They act like the majority even when they're not. You know, Mitch McConnell, you know, you can say what you want about him. He's effective, right? He gets things done or he gets things stopped and he gets the people in line. Uh, I don't see that from the Democrats, and it's it's trickling down. And I can't help but think, to get back to Virginia, that this is a result of that. The Democrats ask for certain votes when it's time to get them elected. Rightly so, right? What do they do when they get in power, though? Where's the results, all right? And you can't, I'm going to say this again, Republicans want to vote for Republicans, all right? Democrats want to vote for Democrats. This is about turnout at this point. The Republicans are animated. They want power back. They're organizing. They're doing things. The Democrats are telling people that Trump is bad. That's what, that's what I saw from McAuliffe's campaign, trying to tie Glenn Youngkin to Trump, which, I look, I get it. That was an effective strategy last time. Trump's not on the ballot this time. Trumpism is. It's got a nicer, gentler face. It's not him, but he's not on the ballot. People aren't disgusted by Glenn Youngkin personally, all right? He's cut from the same cloth, but he isn't. He isn't him, and you're not going to you're not going to win going forward by just being not Trump. In closing, I'm, I'm very discouraged. Not because I think all is lost. It's not. We got a long time before the midterms. We got a longer time until the next presidential election. But man, ugh. These Republicans are going to play this as hard as they can, and I'm already sick of it. This, you know, and I I try to talk to people who watch Fox News and listen to right-wing media sources on things. Their concerns are so foreign to me. It's just made up, right? Like, And it's so transparently made up. I mean, I'm not immersed in it, so maybe it's easier for me to see. But it's just this endless stream of fear about things that are not a problem. Is it? What is it this week? Is the caravan coming? Is it the critical race theory? People are getting canceled. You know what I mean? It's, it's just endless, and they eat it up. They eat it up because it's this this endless need that they have that keeps getting filled by these ill-defined things that aren't actually a problem. Which, you know, I feel like the Democrats could capitalize if they made it clear somehow that there are things that are actually a problem and that they can deliver on it. But I don't see that the Democrats are delivering on the 
actual things. You know, they keep being worried about alienating people in the center. Okay, that 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 takes you only so far. Eventually, you have to excite your base. All right, you have to turn people out for a reason. All right, and I still don't see that from the Democrats, and I need to see that more because. Once again, I'll make this disclaimer. I'm not a Democrat. I've never been a Democrat. I've never belonged to any party. Okay? But here's the, here's the stakes. The Republican Party has completely given themselves over to authoritarianism and fascism. That's the future for them. Okay? That's where they're headed. So the only other option is the Democrats. Because we don't live in a system in this country where a third party has any chance of doing anything other than siphoning votes from one way or another. Just not the system we live in. So we're stuck with the Democrats, and boy, I, I need to see more from them. So anyway, on that happy note, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Um, again, long time before anything else happens, but I am very discouraged, and I'm very, very tired. Have a good one.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.